Hey, uh, I, just a moment of honesty for me real quick. A couple weeks ago, when Brian called and asked if I would speak this morning, um, like I always do, because I'm, I'm just always honored to, to get up here to, to speak to you guys, you know, immediately I'm like, yeah, absolutely. Uh, what am I speaking about? And he told me it was going to be the last week of the Broke series and that he wanted me to speak on spiritual brokenness. And um, I've got to be honest, over the past few weeks, as, as I've gotten this book out and as I've prayed and as I've sought the Lord for wisdom on what to say to you this morning, um, I, I've been a mess. I've just been an absolute mess. Uh, this morning, thinking about what I, I'm going to share with you guys, it's kept me up at night. Um, I've called my friends and I've said, guys, you've got to pray for me. You've got to pray for me because um, I, I just, I'm a wreck right now. And, uh, and, and here's why. Because if you guys, if we can, if we can get what we're going to talk about this morning, you will never be the same. But if you miss it, if you miss it, you miss everything. Like everything hinges on the truth that we're going to talk about this morning. And God, I pray that we get it. Listen, I, I want to do this. We're going we're gonna to spend the majority of our time in the book of James. Um, but before we go there, I, I want us to flip open to Matthew chapter 7. Matthew chapter 7. And I want us to read together this morning uh, what I believe is probably the most terrifying and most horrific passage of Scripture in all the Bible. Okay, and this is Jesus talking about the day that you and I will see him face to face. Matthew 7, starting in verse 21, let's read this together. Here's what Jesus says. He says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. And he says, on that day, the day that you and I see him face to face for the very first time, on that day, many... You need to get that because Jesus doesn't say a few, a handful, a couple. He goes, on that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? Did we not cast out demons in your name? Did we not do many mighty works in your name? And then Jesus says, he will look at these people and declare to them, I never knew you. I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. So, so let's get the picture. I mean, here, life is done. There's no going back. There's no second chances. And Jesus is saying, man, there's going to be all these people, when they see me for the first time, they're going to look at me. They're probably going to believe that I love them. They're going to call me Lord. While they were alive, they would have done things in my name. But Jesus is going, but I never knew them. I never knew them. Like, like, they did this stuff and they attached my name to it and they said they believed some things about me, but we never had a relationship with each other. It's almost like Jesus is going, they gave me their hands, they gave me their feet, they gave me their lips, but they never gave me their heart. Like, I had their actions, but I never had their affection. And I pray, man, I pray that for those of us here this morning, man, that if we are the many, 
If we are those people that would stand up this morning and go, man, I'm in Westridge every week. I, I serve. I throw a few bucks in the offering plate every once in a while. I do community makeover when it's here. I do all this stuff. But your hearts are far from the Lord. My prayer this morning is that the Holy Spirit would open the eyes of our hearts to that and we would get what we're going to talk about. I just pray that this would be a place where Jesus has all of our affections, that he's everything to us. And so I want to pray for that. I want to pray for that this morning. Will you pray with me? Father, we need your presence this morning. God, my prayer is that supernatural things would happen in this room. My prayer is that your Holy Spirit would move and do powerful things that no one could manipulate, that no one could take credit for but you. God, my prayer this morning, God, I I pray for those that are in this room who think that they're okay and they're not. God, that you would open our hearts to see the truth. God, and that we would leave this morning and we would understand the life that you've called us to and that we'd never be the same. I pray that we would leave this morning, God, with all of our affection set on you. God, that we would value you and treasure you more than anything else in this world. So God, would you move this morning in power? We love you and we pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. All right, let's go James chapter 4. James chapter 4. And as you're turning to James chapter 4, I I want to explain kind of what's going on in the history of the church around this time so that we have some context for what we're about to read, okay? Um, James is a pastor. He's writing this letter to a group of Jewish Christians who are being persecuted for the name of Jesus, okay? So he's writing this letter to a group of people who are, are running for are running in fear for their lives. Like a a major dispersion takes place out of Palestine. These people are scared that that just because they're speaking the name of Jesus that people are going to arrest them, beat them, kill them. Um, You can go to the book of Acts chapter 7 through like 12 and read about what was going on. And these people are, are running from all of this. Now, in the midst of their running, some things start happening, okay? People start feeling the stress of what's taking place during this time. Many of them start losing a lot of possessions, losing a lot of stuff, losing jobs, all this stuff. So they're starting to feel the stress of what it's like to live in poverty, Okay, and so you got a lot of these people who say they know Jesus, they're becoming very poor. You got other people who say that they know Jesus and they're still doing okay. These different cliques start forming inside of the church and these people start fighting with each other. Okay, I know it's hard to believe church people fighting with each other, um, but, but it was going on. Okay, it was going on back in this time. And so th- the picture is this. James is this pastor, and he's writing to a bunch of spiritually broken people. I mean, if you talk to them, they might say they were okay, but when you look at their lives, they are spiritually broken people. If you dive further into this letter, I I would encourage you, go home, read the book of James today. Five chapters, really short, you can do it pretty quick. But you also start to find out that many people inside the church have fallen into sinful, worldly lifestyles, that many of them will come and they'll listen to this book, be taught, but they won't do anything it says. And James even calls many of them double-minded people because they keep wavering back 
back and forth between God and the world. One minute it's Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. The next minute it's world, world, world. And so James writes this letter and his message is very clear. Okay, this is the primary message of the book of James. He's like yelling at these people going, live out your faith. Live out what you say you believe. He's going, man, you can't just say that you're a follower of Jesus and then refuse to follow him. You, you can't just come in and hear somebody teach this book and then not go out and do what it says. In, in James chapter 2, which is one of the most famous passages in, in the whole book of James, James actually goes, listen, if you say you have faith in Jesus, yet nothing that flows out of your lives backs up what you say, he goes, all you have is a dead faith. Your faith is dead. And he says, that kind of faith doesn't save anyone. And then he comes to James 4. And there is this passage where I, I just get this picture. James is literally pleading with the people. I mean, I could just imagine him writing with this intensity, this passion, this urgency, going, man, you got to leave it, leave the world, give up all that stuff. You got to give your lives to God, surrender to him, submit to him, leave the other stuff behind. And this morning, I want us to read this passage together because I want you to see what James has to say. James 4, starting in verse 1, listen to what he says. He says, what causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? you? You desire, you don't have, so you murder. You covet, you can't obtain, so you fight and you quarrel. You, you don't have because you don't ask. And he goes, you ask and you don't receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your own passions. You adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or do you suppose it's to no purpose that the scripture says he yearns jealously over the spirit that he's made to dwell in us, but he gives more grace. And therefore it says God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will exalt you. You see, I, I think when we read this passage... The answer to why these people were so spiritually broken, even though many of them were claiming to know Jesus, I think it becomes very clear. And, and here is the reason, okay? These people that James is writing to, they're practicing idolatry. They're practicing idolatry. And maybe you read that and you go, well, James, I didn't see any little statues and I didn't see him worshiping other gods. Like, what do you mean they're practicing idolatry? Let, let me make sure we get this. I'm going to give you a very simple definition of idolatry. If you take a notes, I would suggest you write this down, okay? Idolatry is this. It is us placing more value on created things than on the creator, Idolatry is us placing more value on created things than on the creator. If you wonder where I got that definition, go back, read Romans chapter 1, and you'll find it. Um, you guys remember the book of Exodus where Moses went up to the mountain, and in Exodus 20, God gave him the Ten Commandments. Do you remember that? Do, do you remember what the first commandment was? 
Like when God first spoke to Moses to give him these commandments, he goes, okay, listen, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. And then he said, what? You shall have no other gods before me. I mean, God's going, you worship nothing in my place. You don't value anything more than you value me. You treasure nothing more than you treasure me. I should be everything to you. You have no other gods before me. Um, here's these people's problem, and here's why they were so spiritually broken. is because they got this wrong. They got it backwards. They started going, oh, no, 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 that looks better than him. Man, what, what I want, what I desire, that's kind of that's better than... Man, I'll give God some of who I am, and maybe he can be like two or three on the list behind this other stuff. But man, that's really good. And so they fall into this trap of idolatry, of, of valuing things, created things more than the creator. You go back to the scripture, and you find it. It's real easy. James goes, why are you guys fighting so much with each other? Like, what's causing all? You say you're brothers and sisters in Christ, that you're playing for the same team, living for the same purpose, but you just keep fighting with each other. And he goes, I think it's because your passions are at war within you. That, that word passions comes from the Greek word hedone. It literally, it's where we get our word hedonism from in English, and it literally means self-centered desires. So what James is saying is this is going, you're fighting with each other when you should be living to make much of him because all you care about yourself. Like you're living for you. You value you more than you value him in your life right now. You are God and he is not. And that's why. And then he goes, man, and stuff, like you're pursuing all this stuff. Like you see something out there that you can't have. And so what do you do? You fight over it. Like you want this stuff, you pursue it. And even to the point where some of you might be willing to kill for it. I mean, Jesus goes, man, some of you guys are murdering. I mean, biblical scholars, some of them, teach that, that, that there may have been people killing each other over their pursuit of stuff. I mean, unbelievable. But again, James is going, you value all this stuff more than him. That's your problem. You are God. Your stuff is your God. He is not. Like, you see that stuff as better than, than him and then James goes, and you think you need all this stuff, but in reality, um, you're asking for the wrong things, and God's never going to give you what you think that you need, because all you're going to do with what you think you need is run out and spin it on yourselves. Like, you're going to use, like, you're asking God, give me this, give me this, give me that stuff, give me, bless me with this, but God's going, no, I'm not going to do it, because all you're going to do is take it and spin it on you, your desires, you're going to use what I bless you with to make much of you, and I'm going to fade into the background. So, it's this picture of God going, no, I'm, I'm not going to, I'm not down with that. You see, these people in the book of James, again, had made themselves, their desires, their pursuit of stuff, God over their lives. They wanted more and more and more of what they didn't have so that they could make much of themselves. And they wanted it again so badly that they may have been willing to kill for it. Now, l let me hit the pause button for a second here on the scripture. And, uh, and I want to bring us into this, okay? For some of us in the room... This is our problem this morning. We come in and, and some of us know we're spiritually broken, but we don't know what to do about it. Some of us are here this morning and we think we're okay, that we're not broken, and that we are. And my prayer again is that you'd see this before you leave today. But for some of us, this is our problem. 
Some of us are here this morning and we find ourselves wavering between God and the world, hearing this book be taught and not doing what it says, claiming to be followers of Jesus and refusing to follow him because our own desires, our stuff, our comfort, what we want is greater than Jesus. You see, we've let this stuff become God in our lives and some of us have put God in the back seat. You see, we're spiritually broken this morning, a lot of us, because everything around us is more valuable to us than he is. And you see, even for some of us, again, Jesus might have some of our action this morning, but if you're honest with yourself, he has none of your affection. Your heart is very far from him. And I, I want to use some real life examples that, that we hear about here at Westridge all the time, just to kind of bring this into the light a little bit more. Some of us are here this morning, um, and when it comes to our marriage, we're struggling. Like some of you are sitting next to, to the person in this room right now who you vowed for better, for worse, man. I, I'm, we're in this thing for the long haul, and you're struggling. Like you, your marriage is broken and it is falling apart. And, and see, for some of us in the room, um, the problem is very simple, and it's this. Is that right now, we value ourselves and our own desires and what we want more than we value Jesus. For a lot of us, that's why our marriages are so broken. It's because instead of, of going, man, God bless me with this so that my spouse and I could make much of him together, we're going, no, 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 I think I'm going to throw in the towel because I don't really want to do this anymore. Like, it's just not worth it. And so we look at ourselves and we go, no, 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 what I want to do and the direction I want to head, it's better than him. And so our marriages are broken, very broken. Um, some of us this morning, we are struggling with, with the sin problem. And we feel so broken, man. Some of us have struggled with this thing for a long time. Some of it's secret. Other people don't even know what it is. And we've tried to manage it well so that it doesn't take us over fully. And there have probably been those times where we, we just, man, grab a hold of it. And we go, man, I'm not going to do this anymore. I'm done with you. And then a week or two later, it comes back up. And we fall back in. And here is the main problem. A lot of times we'll look at that sin and the value that we feel it brings and the feelings and satisfaction it creates and we'll go, okay, that's better than him. Like in this moment, yeah, I see Jesus over there and he's pretty good and I've, I've heard about what he's done, but man, this right now is it for me. And we find ourselves sitting in the midst of this thing, just trying to manage it well, when in reality our problem is we can never break the chains of it because we don't see Jesus as our treasure. Some of us, we've been in this um, series forgiving. And I, I know some of us sitting in the room this morning have a hard time giving because, man, we've lost jobs, we've lost businesses, um, we're trying to climb out of debt, just, you know, making, making bad decisions along the way. But there are others of us in the room that we don't give just because we don't see Jesus as valuable enough to give to. Like we're broken in this financial area of our lives because we see stuff and we see things and we think about our own desires and we go, I kind of want that more than him. I mean, he's good and all, but man, that's really good. And so we start placing this value on created things rather than on the creator, the, the savior, and, and we're a mess. 
spiritually, we are broken. And in verse 4, James gives us the really bad news. And here's what he says. He goes, anybody living like that makes themselves an enemy of God. Anybody living like that? He goes, man, anybody that would place more value on, on created things rather than on him, those people are enemies of God. But in the very next verse, in verse 5, he gives us the good news. I know maybe you're here and you're going, James, man, you've just beat us down for the past 20. Like, what in the world's going on? There's always good news. There's always good news. And in verse 5, again, James goes, don't you understand how jealous he is for you? And he paints this picture. He goes, man, listen, God created you and he put this spirit inside of you. And his desire when he created you was, man, I want that person to make much of me, to worship me, to glorify me, to make much of the name of Jesus, both here and throughout the nations. And man, that's his desire for you. He is jealous that you live out the purpose that he's created you for. But again, the, the issue and the problem is this. The Bible's going, you're an enemy, you're an enemy, you're an enemy. And God's going, but I want him to bring me glory. I want him to bring, I want him to make much of me. But as long as they're that, they can't do this. And so in verse five, we find the solution. And James goes, he gives us grace. Like grace is the answer. That God is so jealous for you and me that we would live lives that glorify him and him alone. That he shows us grace even when we were his enemies. And, and here's the reality of it. Every single one of us sitting in this room this morning, the scripture says, um, if we're not enemies of him right now, we were before we knew Jesus. I mean, Ephesians 2, remember what it says? It says, we were born into this world. We came in dead in our sins and our trespasses. I mean, we follow the course of the world, the prince of the power of the air, who is at work in the sons of disobedience. We lived among them all at one time, and all we did was carry out the passions and desires of our flesh and of our body and of our mind. We just did whatever we wanted. We didn't value him, honor him at all. And the Bible goes, that's how you and I were born into the world, as his enemies. And some of you guys have kids, and you go, I get that. I get that. My kid is an evil little sinner. And, uh... I have several sinners that live in my house. And so you're going, James, that makes perfect sense to me. But you see, here's the worst news. The Bible goes, man, because we're his enemies and because of our nature and because we're dead and we do what we want, we don't value him. We don't live to seek him and glorify him. He's not our treasure. The Bible goes, all we deserve is his wrath. Because this picture of not, not God, our homeboy, not God, big guy in the sky, right? But holy, holy, holy God in heaven who right now is sitting on his throne and in his presence, angels are covering their face and covering their feet because they can't stand to look on or stand in the presence of his glory. Eternal beings are casting their crowns down at the feet of Jesus crying out, worthy is the Lord God Almighty. He is the one who, who should receive glory and honor and power because he created all things and and all these things exist for him. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty who was and is and is to come. The picture is that God. We are his enemies. 
the good news is that that God, even when we were his enemies, was so jealous for us that he showed us grace. And if you don't get this, let me paint the picture for you. God goes, I'm so jealous they would live the purpose that I'm going to send my son. All they deserve is punishment. All they deserve is my anger, my wrath. But I'm going to send my son. Romans 5 tells us that even when we were dead, that even when we were his enemies, Jesus came and he died for us. Romans 3 says that none of us sought God, none of us did good, none of us were righteous, there was no fear of him before our eyes, yet he pursued us. Ephesians 2, again, it goes, man, even when we were dead in our trespasses, deserving of his wrath, he made us alive together with Jesus, seated us with him in the heavenly places. It is by grace you have been saved through faith. It's not of yourself. It's not your own doing. It is a gift of God so that no one can boast. You could have never done it for yourself. But he sends Jesus here. And Jesus, his son, his perfect son, fully God, fully man, lives a perfect life. And at the end of his life, God is so jealous for you and me that he allows his perfect son to be beaten, to be tortured, to be spit upon, beard ripped out, crown of thorns driven onto his head, nailed to a cross, hung for six hours in shame. And the Bible says at the cross, God took all of our sin, all of our enemy status, and he put it onto the back of his one and only son and the anger and the wrath and the fury that he had reserved for us as his enemies he took out in his own son and then he took all of Jesus' righteousness and he placed it on you and he placed it on me so that we could stand in his presence blameless, righteous, holy, free from accusation you see God is so... God is so jealous for you that you live a life that makes much of him that he killed his son for you. His one and only son. For those of you that are parents, can you imagine killing your own child for people that hated you the most just so that your relationship could be reconciled? And the Bible goes, that's what God did for us. He was so jealous for us that even when we were his enemies, he showed us grace so that our lives could carry purpose and meaning and bring him glory and make much of him and him alone. You see, when we get this, again, this is the part I'm going, you miss this, you miss everything. You miss that, you miss it all. If you get this, he becomes your greatest treasure. Jesus becomes everything to you. You see, you walk back into your marriages this afternoon when you understand this and you look at your spouse and you go, can you believe he saved us? A couple of moron sinners like us, like he saved us and then he brought us together so that we together could bring him glory, him honor, we could make him famous among the nations. Man, I don't care what's threatening us. Let's make war together. I know communication stinks. You know, he's better. He saved. I was his enemy. He saved us. He is better than us throwing in the towel. So get on the phone in the morning. Call the best Christian counselor you can find. We're waging war on this because we want him to receive glory and honor through our marriage. This is not about us. It's about him. You see, man, I had a couple come up to me after last service. And uh, just an emotional time for me. When I spoke back in September in the Behind the Music series on Psalm 139. And, and, I, and I spoke that day. 
about, again, how some of us were battling, some of us were struggling, but this God who is greater than all of this, he wants to be everything. And, and I had a couple after last service come up to me who September, they walked up to me and their marriage was broken, falling apart. They go, we don't know what to do. We're ready to throw in the towel, ready to give up. Shedding tears, uh, very distant. Last service they came up to me after the service was over. Arms locked, little boy, other side. And he said, James, God rescued us that day. He saved our marriage that day because we, we quit making it all about us. And we said, God, no, you're better, you're better, you're better, you're better. We want you to receive glory and honor through our marriage and through our relationship. So God, we'll go to, we'll do whatever it takes. And they stand here today restored because he is their treasure now. For, for those of us, again, man, that are struggling with a sin issue that just threatens to destroy us and to take us out. You see, we get the cross. We, we see Jesus. And we see God's jealousy over us. And we understand the purpose of our lives is to make much of him. And he's made a way for us to do that. And we see Jesus. And we see that sin. We go, wait, are you kidding? He's so much better than that. Like that thing that the enemy is trying to use to destroy me. To rob God of glory from my life. Like through the power of the Holy Spirit, I will put this to death. I will confess it to whoever I need so that I can get help. And I'm going to chase after him because he is so much better than that. When it comes to giving, I think the answer is simple for some of us sitting in the room. When we look at Jesus, we understand the cross. We get what he's done and how valuable he is. We start to go, yeah, he's everything to me. And I I want people, not only here, but in the state, around this nation, and around the world, to know him like I know him. Because he's my treasure, he's everything to me. And so you go, of course I'm going to give to that. Like, what, what are we even talking about? Like, I, get, I give so that his name is made much of to places I can't even go? It's a no-brainer at that point. Of course I'm going to give. It's making much of the one who is everything to me. And so, let me ask you this question. Is Jesus everything to you? Is he truly more valuable to you than anything else in your life. This morning, does Jesus truly have your affection? Like, I'm so glad that we're all here together. And, and you know, I, it's great that some of us serve. It's great that some of us threw some money in the offering bucket a few minutes ago, but I'm not asking about your actions. I'm asking, does Jesus have your affection? Does he have your heart this morning? Um, I'm, I'm reading a book right now called God is the Gospel by John Piper. And he poses a question in his book that I think helps us answer that question very well, very easily. Here's the question he asks. He goes, if you could go to heaven right now, 
If you could leave this place, go to heaven right now, you know, mansions, streets of gold, all your loved ones and your friends are there, no more sickness, no more dying, pain-free living for the rest of your existence. He goes, if you could go and you could have all that, but Jesus wasn't there, could you be okay with that? And you see, if you hear that question and you go, man, that sounds pretty good, I think I could be okay. You don't know him. You don't know him. And you've placed value on so many other things than him because for those of us this morning that know him, we go, he's not there? No, I don't want that. Mansions, paint, whatever. No, 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 no. You tell me where Jesus is because he's what I gave my life to. Man, I didn't come to Jesus to get all of his stuff. I came to Jesus to get Jesus. He saved me when I was his enemy. And I want him to receive glory and honor from my life because he's everything to me. Is he everything to you this morning? If if you go, James, no, not really. Um, James tells us right here again. I'm going to reread this. I already read it once, but he tells us what we should do. Starting back in verse 7 of chapter 4 of James, he says, Submit yourselves to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he'll he'll draw near to you. Run from the one who's trying to destroy you, take you out, who hates God, and who wants to wreck your life so that God gets no glory. He goes, run from him, and you run to God, and God will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, purify your hearts, be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. It's this picture of repentance where James is going, you've got to get to this place where you see God as this treasure. He's everything. He's so valuable. And man, all this other stuff I've been living for, man, I see how much it pales in comparison to him. And so, man, it's this change of mind that leads to this change of direction that goes, no, 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 man, that stuff, yeah, it had its time. It had its place, but I'm done, God. I want to come after you. I want to come after you. And we get on our faces, the Bible says, and we mourn. And we weep over the sin that has had us for so long. And that we draw near to the one who will draw near to us. And the Bible says, if we humble ourselves before him, that he will exalt us. It's this amazing picture of James going, if you would just quit thinking life was so much about you. And understand that God is jealous for you. You were his enemy, but he showed you grace. If you would get to this place where you humble yourself, then he will exalt you. You quit trying to exalt you, and at that moment, that's when God exalts you. You quit trying to make much of you, and at that moment, God will make much of you so that you can make much of him. And it's this amazing picture again of the amazing grace of God. So here's what we're going to do this morning. In just a minute, uh, we're going to take communion together. And for those of us that are are here and and we're believers in Jesus, you know, this is a time for us where we come and, uh, and we take the bread and we take the drink and we do it in remembrance of the amazing grace of God. We do it to remember and to reflect back on the truth that I just spoke. I was his enemy, yet he saved me. And so it's this time we come and we take this bread and remember the broken body of Christ 
Remember that his blood, as we drink the juice, that it was spilled for our sins. It's an act of worship. Listen, if, if you're at a place this morning where you don't feel like you can treat this um, in a worthy, honorable way, that, that's okay. We just ask you stay in your seat. No, no big deal. Um, for the rest of us, we want to remember. Now, now listen, before we do that though, I really do think that maybe there are several of us in the room that need to come to this place of repentance that we talked about. In 1 Corinthians 11, Paul talks about the, the Lord's Supper community. He goes, you don't do this in an unworthy manner. Man, you examine yourself. You check your heart. Is he ever, does he have your affection? And if he doesn't, then, then we come to this place where James says we get on our face and we mourn and we weep and we ask God to forgive us and we truly give him our hearts. For those of us that don't know him that morning, the picture's the same for you. You repent. You see him as everything. You place your faith in Jesus as the one who came to save you, to restore you so that you can live out your God-given purpose, which is to bring him glory. And you get on your face and you go, man, Jesus, I trust in what you've done for me. Here's my heart. Here's my affection. I'm leaving the stuff that I have valued for so long behind. God, be my everything. And so I want to encourage you. This morning, come get on your face. Whether it's up here at the front of the room, at your seat, some of you need to grab the hand of your spouse for the first time in a long time. And you need to beg the Lord to be the center of your marriage. Some of you need to come and you get on your face, you go, God, I'm done managing this sin. God, I just want you to be my treasure. God, this morning, help me to see you as valuable above everything. Help me to believe that Jesus is better than this thing that threatens to destroy me. And the Bible promises we mourn, we will be comforted. We draw near, he draws near. We humble, he will lift us up. We're gonna ask you to come. You do what you need to do. Um, after you take communion, we just wanna ask you to go quietly back to your seat because we wanna end our time together with a song like we see that, that Jesus did with his disciples in the scriptures. You just go back, you reflect, you remember. And uh, let, let me just pray for this time. Father, God, you are so good to us. You're so good. I praise you this morning that we stand under your grace. God, that even as we walked, even if we walked in as an enemy, God, that we can leave as your friend, we can leave as your son, as your daughter, that we can have fellowship with you, enjoy who you are, and we can know that one day we will see you face to face. God, I just pray for those this morning that need to know you, God. Open the eyes of their heart to that. Let them see God, that, that you desire their life. You desire to be everything to them. For those of us in the room that think we're okay because of our action, God, if you don't have our affection, I pray the same prayer. God, help us to truly submit and surrender our lives to you. God, be with this time. We thank you for Jesus. Pray this in his name.